Hello to all of you out there. I am Ulrike Seminati, host of the podcast Empowering Female Leaders for Women Who Want to Thrive. Every week you will get new perspectives, exciting insights, and empowering messages of women from all over the globe. Welcome to another episode of my podcast, Empowering Female Leaders. I am pleased to welcome today Chloe Oestreich, who is a leadership coach, consultant and speaker. She works with leading global organizations and coaches CEOs from Fortune 500 companies on how to communicate effectively, be heard and lead with impact. Growing up bilingual in Switzerland, Germany and England, Chloe started her consultancy at the ripe age of 24 in Melbourne. It was during that time that she grew to understand the true importance of executive presence to both personal and business success. As a consultant, Chloe equips leaders with the tools and techniques they need to thrive, adapt, present and communicate with impact. As an ICF accredited leadership coach, Chloe empowers and stretches CEOs to step into self-organization and self-management of their own developmental growth. Chloe, is there something that you want to add about yourself? Well, I mean, you've said so much, but maybe I'll talk about my why, because that's certainly one of the most interesting things I find, or I want to find out whenever I meet people for the very first time. And I have my three brothers to thank for my why. I don't know whether they're aware of it. I grew up in a very stereotypical German family. I've got a father and three brothers. My stepfather, as well as one of my brothers, is a mechanical engineer. And all of my brothers are very blessed with an incredibly high IQ. They are very smart. They're very left brain. They're very rational thinkers. And so a lot of our dinner table conversations would often revolve around mathematical equations or quantum physics or latest inventions or patents. And it came to a point where, of course, I realized I'm definitely the black sheep of the family, but also um, I listened to them and I saw a real missed opportunity because as they were talking about these things, I didn't understand what was so special or exciting about that. And it made me realize that your idea or your product can be as amazing as we'd like it to be. But if you can't sell it, if you can't communicate it in a way where it engages with the audience, then it's worth very little. And so that's really how I came to do what I'm doing. I've recognized that there are lots of people who are in that position and who are very blessed with high IQs, but are they effective communicators? Can they engage their audiences? Can they connect meaningfully with their clients. And that's really what started me on this journey. And I think it's a very exciting topic. Communication is obviously one of the most important leadership competencies that leaders need to be successful because like you say, it's not about talent so much. It's really about how do you convey it to the external world? How do you make people understand what you actually want to achieve, what you can achieve, bring your ideas across and so on? What I find quite interesting, and I'm pretty sure that this would be the first question our audience 
<laughs> will ask you is you started your career at the age of 24 and you started coaching people who were much more mature than you, much older. How did that work? I guess you had a certain presence already at that time. Did you think about that at that moment or you just came naturally to you? Well, you know, it's funny because I look back to when I was 24 and I have to say that was a ballsy and courageous move. <laughs> and I genuinely believe that the older we get, the more reflective we become. And it just goes to show how when you're younger, you perhaps have a lot more courage in you to try new things, which is so beautiful about being young in your 20s. Look, it, it was... It was challenging, no doubt. I mean, I worked with male CEOs, decision makers, high performance individuals who were often in their 50s and their mid 50s, and they were white and they were men. And so for me, I actually didn't have the chance really for me to second guess or to doubt my capability. Also, I've got a background in journalism as well as in acting. And I can tell you, Ulrike, if there's one thing actors know how to get taught, it's to sell yourself because that's essentially what you do, what you have to do every time you walk into an audition. So I was blessed from that point of view. And I have to say, you know, if there's one thing that I encourage people to do, or maybe I shouldn't because then I'd be out of business, but going to acting school is possibly one of the most profound and one of the most confident boosting things you can do because you get to really play and fail and be courageous and try new things. I can imagine that even if it sounds counterproductive, going to an acting school helps you to be more authentic. Would you say that? Well, it's interesting. Yes, yes, it does. Because here's the thing, as an actor, you actually first have to understand who you are in order to then take on a different role, right? So obviously when you step into character, that character is most likely going to be very different to who you are. But you can't really step into that world unless you fully fleshed out who you are as an individual, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, how you communicate, what your body language is, what your posture is, what your gesturing is, to then be able to step into the role and go, okay, how do I now change that? Because of course, I'm a different person. Yes, that's what I thought. It's about awareness first, and awareness leads to more authenticity to understand who you truly are and embrace this way of who you truly are. Now, you spoke earlier on about communicating with impact, having more executive presence, and executive presence is certainly one of these things that people would really, really love to have. And they believe they don't have it or can't get it because they are lacking the confidence to convey executive presence. Is there anything you can share with our audience how they can move towards more executive presence? Absolutely. And I guess, you know, there is the inside out approach and then there is the outside in approach. And so when we talk about feeling confident or having confidence, this is very much a mindset piece, right? But executive presence is a lot around how you are being perceived by your audience or the people that you're speaking to. And so there are lots of things that we do in the way that we communicate that may take away from your executive presence or in which you might be subconsciously undermining yourself. 
I came across a piece of research eight years ago when I started my consultancy and it still blows my mind to this very day. And it talks about how we make up our mind within the first three seconds of meeting someone. And it really comes down to a large part comes down to executive presence and whether someone believes you have the capability, the confidence, and whether they can trust you. Now, executive presence can be broken down into three main points, really, or three main pillars, and they are physical, vocal, and mental presence. Underneath those sit numerous subcategories, which we won't go into every single detail, but I can share a few. So for example, under vocal presence, it's pitch, it's pace, it's tonality, it's articulation, it's the words and the language that we use, it's whether we use pauses effectively. Under physical presence, we pay attention to posture, right? How does somebody carry themselves? Do they have a tendency to fall into a low status or into a high status pose? Do they use nonverbal communication? Do they avoid eye contact? And then when it comes to mental presence, we've got, are you clear of your intention? Are you really listening? Are you approaching the conversation with an open mind? And do you have a sense of mindfulness? Are you mindful or are you aware of how you're coming across as well as how the audience is receiving you? So that all equates to somebody having executive presence. And I'm a true believer that this can absolutely be harnessed and be taught if you truly understand how to tap into it. This sounds like a lot of different measures which we can take. <laughs> and it also sounds like that there are a lot of measures that have nothing to do actually with the words that we speak. And most people prepare, first of all, the words. What will I say in this meeting? And worse, even the slides which they will present. How will they look like? Instead of focusing more on who they are, how they feel inside, and by this, obviously, have a different body language, a different tone, being clear about the intent that you have for that meeting, with which emotional state you go into it. I also be a firm believer of the listening piece. I think it's the most important skill in communication and people under-evaluate it very often. But maybe let's go into the different areas because it's very interesting. How can I increase my vocal presence? Because voice is very powerful. There are statistics or studied old study already from the 70s that says voice is over five times more powerful than the words you say. So it's important. It's a game changer, basically, to work on the voice. What can we do about this? Lots. Well, first, we can divide it into the delivery and the content, the words and the language that we're using. First and foremost, we need to really increase our level of self-awareness to understand where do we fall short? So an exercise that our listeners may want to do in their meeting this afternoon or tomorrow is what's the pace they're speaking at? And how does it compare to the pace that other people are speaking at? What's their volume? Is it appropriate for the amount of people that they're speaking to? Are they yelling or are they perhaps not being heard? What's the tonality and the pitch that they're using? There are so many studies that have shown that we unfortunately often have a tendency to vote for leaders who have low grounded resonant voices. Surprise, surprise. What does that mean? We often vote for men. <laughs> Now, that doesn't mean that I'm 
telling women to change the pitch of their voice, that would be ridiculous. And in many ways, a great study case of a woman who changed the pitch of her voice was Margaret Thatcher. Now, Margaret Thatcher, in many ways, sounded utterly ridiculous because it was highly unauthentic and she changed the pitch of her voice. However, that means that, especially in the English language, and if we've got some Australians who are listening to this, or maybe even some Kiwi friends, then they will know that an integral part of the Australian culture, also the US culture, is to speak with an upward inflection, which means we go up at the end of a sentence. And that means that in many ways, we're asking a question as opposed to making a statement. So there are three tips that you can take away from today, which is as you're speaking, really be conscious. Are you making a statement or are you posing the statement as a question? If this is something that you want to practice, you may want to visualize a big fat full stop. Because of course, what do we do when there's a full stop at the end of a sentence? We go down. The other piece is around pace. We know Lots of research has shown that pace plays such a significant part in conveying credibility and authority. If you want some great study cases, we've got, I don't know how many of your listeners would be familiar with House of Cards or Netflix, fabulous show with Kevin Spacey, Frank and Claire Underwood are two fabulous roles that people can observe. And these are individuals who just speak at such a measured pace. So they're my, they're my top tips. That is very useful and absolutely applicable. And thank you for that. If you go into the second one, the physical presence, because body language in big parts happens unconsciously. There are obviously the bigger poses that we can have, but then we also have all these micro mimics in our face, which we cannot control and that are totally recognized by the other people in front of us subconsciously in milliseconds. So. I see body language always as, on the one hand, as an enabler of feeling powerful. And on the other hand, it is something that comes or has to come from the inside because only then is authentic and others perceive it as strong body language because you need to feel strong inside before. What's your take on body language, on the physical area, which you mentioned that helps us to have more executive presence? Well, I mean, there are so many points about this. And, and as you rightly mentioned, we've got low status poses. We've got high status poses. Women often have a tendency to fall into low status poses. Men often have a tendency. I refer to research. This isn't made up by me. <laughs> Men often have a tendency to fall into high status poses. I would encourage women in particular to get comfortable with taking up as much space as they require. More often than not, women are very apologetic about their existence and we find ourselves often walking into the room and we cross our legs when we're standing up and we really physically protect ourselves by crossing our arms or placing our hands behind our back. And this comes with practice. But again, if you can practice to allowing yourself to truly be seen because this is what it's about. It's allowing yourself to be seen and taking up the space that you require, then this will become easier over time. It is a very simple thing to do, basically, but I think we need to stay awake all the time. I catched myself as well doing that. And then 10 minutes later, sitting again in one of these folded <laughs> poses where I made myself smaller because we automatically 
switch back into our old patterns. Would you say that this different kind of standing or sitting, taking more space, influences our mindset, the feeling that we have about ourselves at the same time? Totally. And I mean, there's so much research on this. Again, people might be familiar with Amy Cuddy, who did a fabulous study where she measured the level of testosterone that rises from power posing for two minutes. I believe there was some controversy around the actual percentage of the testosterone, but you know what? I look at that study and I go, who cares about the percentage of how much it increased? The reality is your body language shapes how you think and feel. And in many ways, it's so logical. I mean, what's the first thing we do when we're winning or when we're having a great day? We, you know, here in Australia, AFL, the Australian footy season is on. What's the first thing that people do when they win? They throw their arms in the air. They yell, they go, yes, right? They don't go, yes. So they don't, they don't fold their body inward. So it's something we do naturally when we're feeling good about ourselves. We open up physically. When we're not having a great day, we often avoid eye contact and we fold in physically. So that just proves the point that body language absolutely has an impact on your chemical balance in your brain. It absolutely influences that. And here's the thing, people might be skeptical about it, but I would encourage them to just give it a go. You know, next time you have a meeting, why not try power posing for two minutes? It's absolutely been proven from a science point of view. So you may as well use it and then you can dismiss it later. Yes, exactly. It's a way of becoming different, of making it a habit and of just learning to have a new body language. So we spoke now about two very important aspects, the vocal one and the physical one. And then you mentioned a third one, and this is the mental area of executive presence, which is certainly a little bit more complex than the vocal and the physical one. It's a vast field, obviously. There's a lot which you could say, and we could speak probably for hours about this topic. But what are some of the highlights where we can start with coming into a mental state that makes us stronger or that makes us appear and possibly also feel more confident? So I will go into that. As we've been chatting away, I recognized one thing. I'm so conscious that a lot of your listeners would be listening to this podcast while on the fly, picking up the kids from school, maybe even going for a run or for a jog, and they might not have pen and paper in hand. And I'm conscious that we're going through a lot of information. So to avoid people having to listen back to it, I mean, they're more than happy to. But I've actually put together an exclusive free video training just for your listeners to give them as much value as possible. So people can review this content specifically around executive presence if they wish, and they can find it on www.coconsultancy, that's all one word, .com.au forward slash EFL, which of course stands for Empowering Female Leaders. So I wanted to mention that because people can get a lot of information on there. Now to the mental presence pace. Yes. And this is, I think, Ulrike, we could talk about this for five days straight. So where do I even begin? Let me tease out two or three points that I think are most important about this, and you've already mentioned it before, the undervalued skill of truly listening. There are many different ways in which we listen. 
factual download, empathetic listening and sacred listening. We can talk about them later on if there is enough time, but also the importance of having a clear intention. And you've beautifully said it before again, you know, having an emotional connection to our intention. More often than not, we go into an interaction and we have a surface level intention. And the surface level intention might show up as, well, I'm walking into Monday staff update because I'm here to update staff or I'm here to get budget signed off or I'm here to pass on information. Yes, these intentions are all true. However, they're meaningless. And they are surface level intentions. So if the intention is to really walk into the room and inspire and motivate and excite your audience to really engage and listen to your vision, then I would strongly encourage you to dig a little bit deeper and uncover what actually sits behind that. And so my personal recommendation would be to pick a verb. Of course, a verb is a doing word. It's something that we can do. So next time you walk into a meeting, you may want to channel and tap into what would it look like for me to inspire? What would it look like for me to challenge? What would it look like for me to excite, right? And so all of a sudden, you are going to bring a whole different energy into the interaction or into the meeting because you are truly connected to your intention on an emotional level. The mindfulness piece is possibly one of the most important aspects because in order for us to meaningfully connect with our audience, we need to be fully present. We can't be in the future. We can't be in the past. Otherwise, we're going to miss vital information. So I'm a huge advocate of mindfulness practices, of meditations, and I'm a huge advocate of really preparing ourselves to practice being present in the moment. I get so passionate about this topic because I feel we do such a great job in going to the hairdressers and taking care of our hair and going to the gym and taking care of our bodies. But what are we doing to take care of our most precious asset, our mind, which can be awfully toxic, right? So meditation is our mental gym. It is training our mind to come back to the present moment. And I believe as a leader, you have a huge advantage if you can really practice being fully present with whoever you're speaking to. It's a very powerful element. People often ask me, how can I become more charismatic? And presence is one of the key drivers for that. Because then you're fully there. If you think everybody has maybe someone different in mind about charismatic people, but it comes always with this feeling, wow, they had such a presence because they were fully there. And often people even feel listened to, even if there were a thousand people in the room, but they feel seen, like miraculously seen because this person was so present. And I think it's even one of the areas where people can work most easily on. It's, it's much more difficult to change your level of self-confidence, your level of self-acceptance. But using some techniques to become more present, as you say, mindfulness training, meditation in the morning, just learn to be fully there and that your thoughts are not permanently wandering off to something else and to your next sentence. And that brings me, we have just a few minutes left to also speak a bit more about the listening piece. Because presence and listening for me, are very closely together because if you're fully present 
if you're fully outward focused at the same time, not inward focused on how you're standing and how you look like and, and what you're saying next, then you are able to fully listen as well and be present in the listening. And that makes such a difference in terms of connection with the other person. And it gives you this gravitas in the room if you really apply that. Do you want to speak a little bit more about, about that and maybe also about the different types of listening and how you can make listening powerful? Yeah, I mean, you've, you've just made such a great point and it is very much about focus, right? Where is your focus? Is your focus on yourself or is your focus on the person that you're speaking to? And that is actually half of gaining greater, in many ways, power right? So where is your focus? And something that people may even want to play with as they're going into their meeting this afternoon or tomorrow. What are you focusing on? Are you distracted by the inner chatter, the continuous observations and the judgment and the evaluation, or are you fully there listening to whoever is speaking? Yes, there are different forms of listening, and I talked about them before very briefly, but we can go into them one by one. So to divide them into two components, we've got factual and download listening. And as you can imagine, they are both at a much lower engagement when we listen factually or when we do download listening. It's like we're downloading a file, right? And more often than not, when people are doing download listen, that listening, they often respond with, yep, 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 got it, yep, yep. Now, I always truly wonder, did you really get it? <laughs> but this is what we do. And what I should say up front is that it's not about poo-pooing which one is better or worse, and it's also not about getting rid of one or the other. They're all super useful. In fact, we use all of these forms of listening throughout the day. We do factual listening when we're listening to the radio, right? At the start of the pandemic, what did we do? We all turned on the news. We did factual listening. We wanted to understand what are the numbers and the cases day in, day out. So that's a great example of factual listening. Download listening is very, very similar. With download listening, you often already know the facts, but you just want to confirm whether that is indeed what you're thinking. We then move into a different world of engagement and we've got empathetic listening and sacred listening. Empathetic listening is wonderful. However, it also comes with its repercussions. And the repercussions to empathetic listening are that people often, because they are so empathetic and they feel things so deeply, they hijack the conversation and they often talk about their own experiences. The last one I truly believe is an absolute art form. I truly believe it is the highest form of intelligence to offer up sacred listening is so rare and so, so special because what's required in that moment is for the individual to truly understand their own bias, their own baggage, their own beliefs, their own values, and how they might be interfering with what you're truly hearing. So it requires a heightened level of self-awareness for that individual to go into the interaction. When we offer up sacred listening, it's actually just pure being. There is no chatter. There is no commentary. There is no evaluation. There is no judgment. There is pure being and receiving. 
which is why it's so incredibly hard. And more often the people who are best skilled at sacred listening are your therapist, your coach, (laughs) because of course these people are trained to do that. And it is really something that needs a lot of practice to get there. (laughs) That's energy. Yeah. And energy. Is it easy for you to practice sacred listening automatically? Or do you have to always, how to say, be conscious about not drifting off with your thoughts, not being biased by your beliefs? It's much easier for me with my clients. It's much harder for me for the people that I'm closest to. My clients will often say, gosh, you just listen so well, but I have a chat to my partner. (laughs) I'm sure he's going to tell a very different story. He'll say, you're a rubbish listener. You're continuously trying to fix my problems and find solutions. I mean, it's the hardest, right? The people that we love the most, we continuously want to help and support them in one way or another. And we often forget that support actually comes in the form of listening and not, you know, not fixing things. So I would say my response differs whoever I need to listen to. That sounds familiar to me as well. Chloe, I thank you. This was a very, very insightful talk. And just to wrap it up very quickly, we spoke about executive presence and about three different areas, how you can develop it more, the vocal area, the physical, the mental. And you gave a lot of insightful tips on what we can do as of now to change these paradigms and to get more executive presence. And we will also put the link to the video training that you prepared, especially for our audience, into the show notes so that they can click on it and watch this video training. I thank you very much for this wonderful talk and also for the materials that you make available for our audience. And I'm looking forward to speaking to you at another occasion again. Thank you so much, Ulrike. It's been wonderful. Do you want to get free access to my ebook Top 10 Achievers Lessons? To get your free ebook, all you have to do is leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Then send me a screenshot of your review to my email address contact at ulrikaseminati.com and I will send you your ebook straight away. This was another episode of Empowering Female Leaders. What are the questions and topics in female leadership that you are interested in? Let me know in the comments on YouTube and Instagram or join our LinkedIn group. I'm excited to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe for new talks with inspiring women from all around the globe. Thank you for listening.